You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. If we were to create a model church, maybe based off of the averages of the entirety of what the American church looks like in all of its extremes, if you were to walk inside of this model church, I wonder what the folks inside would have in common. Maybe they would be marked by a commonality in doctrine or theology. Maybe they would be marked by a commonality of ecclesiology, of the way that church is done and their preference in the order of church and how things are structured. Maybe it would be musical preference because they like a certain kind of worship song or a certain style of music. Maybe what they would have in common was a certain political or cultural affiliation or trait that's ingrained in the DNA of the church. Maybe it's just location because this is the building that looks like a church closest to where I live. I wonder what those people would share. Maybe they share Sunday mornings. Sometimes. More often than not, probably, but they share that one day a week, and maybe they even share one more weekday in the form of a small group or a discipleship training class or a youth group or kids ministry. They have another day of the week that they mark that night and say, this is time that I share with my church. Maybe they share a few events. Maybe they share a few fun days out. Maybe they share a couple projects or maybe some missions, efforts, or ministry projects. They might share somewhere near and about 10% of their income. And maybe, if they're feeling particularly vulnerable and close, they'll share some prayer needs and some things that are going on in their lives. And then, they would go their separate ways, live separate lives, and then maybe come back about a week later to sing with some people that they just kind of sort of know. But then if we walked into the setting in Acts chapter 2, and we see these early Christians worshiping together, if we ask those same questions, we have the answer there in Scripture, right? What did they have in common? They had all things in common. They had a common dedication to the apostles' teaching. They had a common devotion to prayer. And then they shared the entirety of their lives. They shared everything that they had, both in an ideological sense, but also in a very real sense, so that anytime someone was in need, they took what they had in common and gave it to those in need to provide for them. And when we look at the juxtaposition between those two summations of church life, we recognize that something has changed. And I think we could say that something has gone wrong. When we look at how Christians are described in the New Testament, when we look at how the church is described in the New Testament, church is not described as a place to which we go. It's not described as an event. That language would have been lost on New Testament readers on going to church because that wasn't how they understood church and what Jesus set church up to be. They were the church. And the language in the New Testament just resounds with that. As we are called one body, 
because we take of one bread, because we take of one cup, because we have one Savior, one baptism, one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This oneness language is just woven all through the New Testament to remind us that as sons and daughters of God, we are not individuals, but we belong to a family. We are identified by that family and we are meant to live like a family. It's hard to share one bread if we never see each other or if we don't share the way that that early church shared. As we're thinking through these core foundational convictions of what it means to be Redeeming Grace Community Church, one of those things is that as a church, our lives are meant to be shared. Now, this isn't a call to just look at the pattern in Acts chapter 2 as some sort of legalistic formula to how often we need to meet together. But hopefully, as we read Acts chapter 2 and we think about what that family looked like and the way they loved each other and the way they shared with each other, the kind of community in which they lived, hopefully as we see that and recognize that life and that community, it should cause us to long for something more. It should cause us to look at what church is and say, surely there's something more than this marginalized and relatively meaningless thing that we've created inside of modern American culture. And I think this brings up some questions that can kind of help us identify how good of a job we're doing of living in true biblical community. We can easily ask questions like, how often do I or how often do we think of one another? How often do we pray for one another? How often do we pray on behalf of one another? How often do we pray with one another? How often do we contact one another? How often do we communicate with one another? How often do we see one another and spend time together as a family? And how often do we miss one another when that's not taking place? How often do we laugh with one another? How often do we mourn with one another? How often do we have life in common with one another as a church family? How well do we know one another? How ready are we to give for one another, to sacrifice for one another? Would we even know what was needed if someone was in need? Would we even know how to give if someone was hurting? Would we even know each other well enough to recognize if someone is hurting and in need without them having to just pour their guts out to us? And if we can't answer those questions well, then we are not living well together as a church. In a culture that has become more and more individual focused, where everything is catered to me and everything is catered to you where there are corporations that spend millions and billions of dollars to aggregate all of the data that you use so that they can know you so well that they can target every little advertisement to you in that kind of a world. And in a world and in a philosophy and in a culture where the church has decided that we are going to cater to that because we do. And listen, I, if there was anything to be hopeful about, when everything shut down, when we were quarantining and sheltering in place and having to do awkward video worship services, 
as I was hearing people talking about this. What made me hopeful is I was hearing a longing. Oh, I hate that we can't be in church. I can't believe that they've shut the doors to our churches so that we can't meet together. I can't believe this has been taken away from us. And so there was a hopefulness on my part that thought, okay, we're moving in this trajectory of trying to just cater every little thing so everybody has the kind of church they like at the time that they want to go to church and they can approach church in all these different ways. Now maybe we're going to recognize the need to say, no, we don't just fit church into our lives when we can, but it's so crucially important that we are going to build our lives around this community to which God has called us to. I was so hopeful. And then we kind of just did the opposite and catered even more. So you don't have to even enter a space and be in the physical presence of other believers to say that you belong to a church. And in a world and in a culture where this is the norm, one of the most countercultural and biblical things that we can do is prioritize life together as a church. We have a couple options. We can be satisfied playing church in name only, and it's totally socially and culturally acceptable. We've been using that language of countercultural a lot, and it's not just countercultural. I think so many times the church likes to use that word in response to the things in the secular world that don't belong in the church, but there are things in the church culture that don't belong in the church. And if we are going to truly be countercultural, one of the most obvious ways that we can do that in an individualistic, individual folk society is to live life in true biblical community. We can either be satisfied playing church or we can decide that we're going to be the church. But honestly, these are easy things to say and they're easy things to think, yeah, yeah, we should be the church. That's the language, right? We should be the church. The church isn't a building. The church is a people. This is the church and this is the steeple and there's the people. And I did that backwards and I had to change that up really quickly. But that's kind of how we say things. That's how we speak. That's the language, right? We are the church. We don't go to church, but eh, it's a little harder to do that than it is to say that. We say that we want biblical community. We say that we want radical community. We get frustrated when we feel like we're in a church and we don't have that kind of community. In fact, I've had so many conversations with people who are saying things like, I wish I had real biblical and meaningful community. I want to live radical life on mission for Jesus in community the way that Acts chapter 2 calls us to. And I want that so badly. But then when it comes to practicing it, the minute I get frustrated, the minute things get tense, the minute it gets awkward or the minute that I have to sacrifice, well, then it's easy to just say, yeah, that's not really for me and go find community down the road. And then if that doesn't work out, find community down the road, down the road, down the road, down the road, down the road. Because the reality about this is this is hard. It's easy to say, but it's hard to live because this requires love. And not the love that we just kind of throw out there that's so meaningless as those words just leave our mouths, but a real, genuine, familial kind of love inside the local church. We have to know each other and not just like each other, not just be around one another, not just have the comfort to be able to tolerate one another for one to four hours a week, 
but to genuinely love one another. To love one another enough to give something up for one another. To love one another enough to know one another well. To love one another enough that even when I don't like you very much, or even when you've done something to hurt me, or even when we're in tension and conflict to seek restoration instead of a new church. We have to love each other enough to be in it for the long haul or we're never going to find this kind of community. It requires an intentionality and a responsibility on the part of each and every member of the church. Because if I look around and I say, we don't have community the way that we're supposed to have community, I shouldn't be looking around pointing fingers, but I need to be looking in the mirror. If I'm asking the question of why aren't we living like the church in Acts chapter 2, it's not for me to try to decipher that all around me, but to say, what am I doing that is preventing us from living in that kind of community? I have to take responsibility and each one of us have to take responsibility and then be intentional to make that change. I'm not waiting around for other people to come to me. I've got to be the one who is going to start and establish that kind of community. This kind of community requires compromise and loss. It means sometimes you might not be going to the kind of church that you would just prefer to go to. There might be things that happen in the life of the church that you think, oh, I wish things weren't going that way. There may be times when you leave a conversation or you enter into a point of conflict and you feel like you've lost something and it hurts and still be willing to love and seek restoration. There are times when this kind of community is uncomfortable And if you're someone who finds yourself to be a scope introverted, (laughs) it can be really uncomfortable because we were walking through a store yesterday and three people walked within three inches of me and I felt really uncomfortable. (laughs) And so inviting somebody into our lives like this and interjecting ourselves into someone's lives like this can be incredibly uncomfortable. And it's going to require sacrifice. And we live in a world where you don't have to sacrifice anything if you don't want to. Where Jesus calls us to be living sacrifices, not just for the purpose of spiritual worship, but to lay down our lives for one another. So this is the kind of life to which we're called as a church. But I have bad news. It's not just that. It's not just that we're called to have all things in common and share our lives together because a shared life alone is just a commune or a co-op. And you can find those everywhere. You can pay a little money and get yourself into a co-op. You can go move into an area that's just very communal living. You can find places like that all over the place. But that doesn't make it biblical community because there's more to this conviction. As followers of Jesus and as members of Redeeming Grace Community Church, our lives and our mission are meant to be shared. And you may say, well, Chris, what is our mission? And I'm glad you asked. Our mission is to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that Jesus has commanded us, and he will be with us always to the end of the age. That's why mission is singular here, because all of us individually as followers of Jesus, as independent local churches, and as the church all over the world, we all share in the same mission, to go and make disciples, to take on the work that Jesus has called us to take on. But more often than not, the way that we go about meeting this mission that Jesus has called us to inside of the church is a very professional driven thing. And so the church hires the staff people and they're the ones with the vision. They're the ones that are looking for all these opportunities. They're the ones that do the primary bulk of the going and making disciples. They're responsible for evangelism. They're responsible for discipleship. They're responsible for equipping and training. And then they'll find a few people in the congregation that are willing and qualified volunteers, and they may invite them in on the mission. And then there's the crowd that generally looks more like the mission field than it does like the church. Most of the church tends to come, receive, and leave, and leave the work up to the professionals and those who are just willing to get their hands dirty. But when we look at Acts chapter 2, they weren't just getting together. They were growing together. They were growing in their knowledge of the gospel and in their love for Jesus and their love for one another. They were praying together and they were serving together. They were on mission together. These early Christians were both being discipled and at the same time making disciples. They were being served as often as they had needs and they were serving others when those needs arrived. They were being ministered to by the apostles and they were ministering to those whom God had entrusted them. And most people in modern churches believe that church is good for them but tend to fail to realize that they are good for the church. Most modern Christians realize that the church is a place where I need to go so that I can grow, but very rarely do we realize that all of us are called to do the same for others. The Great Commission is a universal calling. If we look at the book of Hebrews, starting first in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 through 14, says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear reproach and be endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And I think I turned too many pages there. <coughs> but we can also look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And even backing up before that, in verse 23, says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. There is this constant reminder inside of Scripture that we have a calling and a responsibility to not just go to church, but to be the church. And that every single member of the church is called to be a minister of the gospel. 
It's not enough to simply be together or to simply share life, but we must minister to and disciple others while we entrust our growth to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Which gets to the next conviction that we share as a church. That our members, the people that make up our church, are disciples and ministers. If we want to do church and be church the way that God has called us to be church, then this can't be a place just to spectate, but to participate. This church is not a service offered by professionals and facilitated by a few select, often worn out volunteers, but it's called to be a community of priests and a family on mission together where every single person takes on the role and the responsibility of being the hands and feet of Jesus in and through the church. And so if you are a member of Redeeming Grace or feeling that this is your church home and you want to be a member of Redeeming Grace Community Church, then you have accepted a call into ministry. I mean, I have some bad news beyond that. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you have been placed into a call for ministry. And we all have the responsibility to do that work. And I can give you some insight from behind the curtain as someone who's been doing this vocationally now for almost 20 years. Ministry will wear you out. It's a lot easier to watch than it is to spectate often because you're never off the clock when it comes to ministry. There's no Sabbath rest from ministry. Remember the times that Jesus got in trouble for violating things on the Sabbath? Most of the time, it's because he was doing the work of his Father on the Sabbath. We are never off of the clock when it comes to ministry. And so if you're doing the work of ministry and you're pouring into the life of people inside and outside the church, there are going to be plenty of times when in the middle of the night, someone is at their lowest point and yours is the name that God brings to their heart because of how much you have been pouring into them. And guess what? You're getting the phone call and you're not off the clock because you were never on it. There are going to be times when someone who you've been pouring tirelessly into with the gospel is ready to have that conversation and you got to go, but it's family dinner, but oh well, you're called into mission and you're called to ministry. There's times when ministry is going to disappoint you and frustrate you. There are times when because you are trying to live on mission, you're going to have that expectation of the people around you and sometimes they're not going to meet that expectation and you're going to be frustrated by that. And you're going to come to God in prayer and say, God, look at what I'm doing. Why aren't they doing the same thing for me and with me? Why is it me doing the work and not somebody else? There's going to be times when you have spent so much effort pouring in to a brother or a sister in Christ, and you've been talking to them about some sins and struggles they've gone through, and you think you're making progress, and then they fall right back into the old patterns, and you just feel disappointed and frustrated because it feels like wasted time and effort. There's times when ministry will break your heart where you pour into a loved one with the gospel and you pray over a family member, you pray over a coworker who needs the gospel and you feel like they're getting so close and then they walk away. Times when you have spent hours and days and weeks and months praying with someone you love in the church pouring all of your time and effort in discipling them and teaching them the truth of the gospel 
and then they walk away. Not just from Jesus, not just from the church, but from you. And so it hurts on a spiritual level. It hurts on a time and investment sort of level, but also it hurts on a deeply interpersonal level. There are hard things that come when we live on mission and we put our lives in for the sake of ministry. But another thing I can tell you with great assurance is that ministry is beautiful. And the reward of that, of the hardship and of the difficulties is better than the difficulties could ever be hard. It is good. And you will see reward and you will see fruit. And also I can tell you with 100% certainty that this is God's will for your life. We spend so much time trying to figure out what that is. This is it. Your life, your calling by God because you are a follower of Jesus is to live life on mission. Your call is to go and make disciples of all nations. Your call is to pray together and be devoted to the apostles' teaching and the breaking of bread. Your call is to be on mission, taking and proclaiming the kingdom of God and doing the work of an evangelist. Whether you have the skills or not, this is God's will for your life and this is God's will for our church. And these difficulties that come along with it is also why we do it together. Because, and listen, I talk to a lot of pastors who feel just burnt out and overwhelmed because they feel like they're the only one. I've talked to church leaders and volunteers who feel passionate about ministry and then they just walk away from it because they said, you know what, I put all my time, all my effort, and it was just me. And when you're by yourself, that disappointment resonates a little bit more loudly. That frustration takes root a little bit more deeply. That heartbreak is a lot more difficult to put back together. But when we do this together, when we function like a body, when the arm is weak, the rest of the body compensates a little bit. When I'm disappointed, you may be encouraging. And you can come alongside me and build me up. When you're feeling frustrated. Maybe I'm feeling optimistic and I can lock arms with you and walk side by side. When someone in our congregation is brokenhearted because they poured everything into ministering to a loved one and it just doesn't feel like it's going anywhere, then we can surround our brother and sister in Christ, pray over them and lift them up and join them in that work. Ministry is a lot better when we do it together. It enables us to be vulnerable. It enables us to be honest. It also holds us accountable and it keeps us steadfast. And what's amazing about the church and the way that God has made it up, what's amazing about this church and every other church in this community and around the world, when God calls someone to a local church body, each person that makes up this church, that makes up this body is carefully and wonderfully equipped by God to perfectly fulfill your role of ministry here at Redeeming Grace Community Church. If you're here, it's not by accident. And it's not just because maybe you have some doctrinal points in common. It's not just because maybe you like the way that we do worship or you like the environment or the atmosphere. You like that it's a small church or maybe you live right there. I'm just kidding. None of you live right there. It's like Brittany and then everyone else is like 30 minutes away. We're going to talk about that next week. 
but you matter. And there's a reason why you're here. And God has equipped you and gifted you to provide something that was lacking in our body. And some people are called to roles that feel really big and some that feel really small. Some roles that feel and are a little more professional and some that are a little more volunteer feeling, if we want to use that kind of language. Some people are very wealthy in time and have time to be able to invest and do a lot of things that somebody else might not have the time to do. Some people are very wealthy financially and are able to pour into the ministries in a way that other people can't. Some people are gifted with passion and encouragement and excitement to be able to constantly fuel the fire of our church. Some people are equipped with faith to be able to be steadfast even when everything seems to be falling apart around us. And every single person is equipped and gifted with something by Jesus Christ. And no matter what your calling is, how big or little you may feel like it is, no matter how significant or insignificant you may think that it is, God has called you to use that in the life of our church. And if we are not all doing that together, then something is missing. And maybe we can't quite identify what until we see it. But once every person puts their hand to the plow for the sake of ministry, we will find ourselves accomplishing more for the sake of the kingdom than we could ever imagine. No matter how gifted or talented the professionals may be, no matter how willing a small group of very gifted volunteers may be in the life of the church, no matter how much money you could throw at just putting together the best dream staff that you could ever imagine in a church, no matter what reach or influence these pastors or leaders have, there is nothing that can compare to a church, no matter what size, shape, or structure <coughs> When every single person from child all the way to the oldest person, from people who are babies in the faith to people who have been walking with Jesus for decade upon decade, when every person in the church decides that we are the church and that we are the ministers of the gospel, there is nothing more powerful than a church on mission together. And when we decide to be the church where our lives are shared. When we decide to be a church where our mission is shared and where every member is both a disciple and disciple maker, both ministered to and on ministry with, I feel confident that we will see God do a work that we could have never imagined. And that's not because I just have some sort of great foresight, it's, it's hindsight. Because in Acts chapter 2, they had life in common. They shared everything. They were on mission together. They were being discipled and making disciples. They were being ministered to and they were ministering together. And the result of that is that God was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And they really didn't even have a clue what they were doing. They were just walking faithfully in life together. And we're going to talk a little bit next week about what that looks like and how we fulfill that role. I'd let, like to let you know now that when I wrote this sermon, this was the halfway point. <laughs> so you're welcome. So next week, we're going to talk about 
how we flesh these things out, how these core convictions find themselves moving in and through our church to help us be the kind of church that Jesus has called us to be so that we can have an expectation that that ambition of kingdom growth will be an ever-present reality in the life of our church. But it starts with just the realization that we're here for a reason and a purpose, that our church matters because we matter, because in the kingdom of God, we have been called to be a kingdom of priests working together for the sake of the gospel, for the good of one another, and to see the gospel proclaimed throughout our world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this calling that you've given us. It's easy sometimes to, when you think about the things that make church different, that make our church different, sometimes it's easy to fall into the comparison game. Sometimes it's easy to either hype ourselves up too much or put ourselves down too hard. The reality is the culture in which we live has just shaped the church more than the church has shaped the culture. We find ourselves looking not quite so close more often than not to Acts chapter 2 than we do to every other system and organization in our world. So, Father, before we pray for anything more, we just need to confess for the times when our church has not been who we are supposed to be when it comes to community. God, I thank you for the communal passion of our church. God, we don't want to neglect or miss the times when we have done community well, but there's always times when we can excel still more, times when we've dropped the ball, times when we've failed even. Times when individually I haven't longed for my brothers and sisters in Christ and our lives together. Times when I've held things back. Times when I've wanted to do it all by myself. God, I would imagine that each one of us can confess something that's kept us from being the fullness of who you've called us to be as a church. But God, we thank you that just like in any other area of life, you're not waiting for us to go back through and fix all the systems, but just to start living life the way you've called us to live. And so God, we pray that you would help us to be a church that shares life, that we have all things in common and we're willing to share all that we have for the sake of one another. that we would be a church that shares the mission to go and make disciples, that there would be no 
lone rangers or groups of people feeling overwhelmed and burnt out, but that we would come together as the body that you've called us to be for the sake of taking the gospel into the world. God, I pray that if there's anything in our community that's preventing this from happening, God, any sin that's keeping anyone from being able to dive in the way that you've called them to dive in, that you would help them to crucify that with Jesus and to walk in freedom. If there's any apprehensions or fears because of past hurts, either in this church or in another church, that you would wash those away. If any restoration is needed, if any reconciliation is needed, that you would bring us together before we even come to the table. God, if there's any hesitancy because I'm just not a people person, (laughs) that you would remind us that we've been called to be a Jesus person. That means we got to be people persons. And that you would give us a passion for one another that overwhelms our insecurities. Help us to be devoted to the gospel together. To pray together. To have things in common together. To share life together. To serve together. To minister together. And to go out and to preach the gospel together. God, help our church leadership, our elders, to function the way that you have called them to function. God, not as professionals, not as bosses, but as shepherds, equipping and loving and serving this body. Help us to raise up deacons to be the hands and feet of the church serving the members. And God, reveal to each and every one of us the giftedness that you've given us. Help us to sharpen those gifts in one another. And God, keep us from holding anything back so that we can be the church that you've called us to be. And God, we pray in a culture that's taken so much of this for granted that you could use a little church like ours to spark a revival in our community and in our world of churches living on mission together and where every believer that claims the name of Jesus would take on the work of Christ, that we would be a kingdom of priests and that through that work we would see you do something beyond our wildest imagination and that we would see day by day, those added to our number who are being saved by the gospel of Jesus. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.